Totally Football Show. Today, Anfield. Mo gets Liverpool salivating, but typical Saturday evening viewing as William comes on and spoils things. Elsewhere, it was draws and narrow scores galore, except for Newcastle and Everton. Saints fans don't hesitate to call Charlie Austin the top gun, while Everton's problems now running even deeper than Ice Cube's jammy. But we'll take the wrap after it was another bad day. We'll look back and forward to a midweek round of action on the way. Then we'll bring you other things like a game of Chester, a Germany, why four means fear if you're Borussia Dortmund, Palace Brighton and... You can listen to the actual moment we sell our soul in this Totally Football Show. In the studio today, Daniel's story. Daniel, how's your book going? Yep, very well. Down to the last 500, so hopefully all sold out before Christmas. All right, it sounds a bit like our live show on Wednesday. Oh, oh. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. There's lit- used literally only one or two tickets left. <laughs> but a portrait of an icon and... Um, Alan Shearer was uh, waving a copy aloft. He's got hold of his. Yes, he's got hold of his. Next on the list is Gary Lineker, who is proving elusive. But yeah, um, I think four or five of the icons have got it in their hands now. Right. Which is a good start. Okay, and Alan Shearer of particular relevance because he's the patron of the charity that it's raising money for. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. The Bobby Robertson Foundation. He is one of uh, four or five patrons, I think. But yeah, certainly the most high profile. Excellent. All right. Hey, Michael Cox. You're ready for action in your leather jacket. Yeah, always. Yeah. Super. What did you get up to this weekend? Just watching lots of football, I'm right. afraid, James. What was your favourite game? I very much enjoyed uh, Liverpool-Chelsea. Did you? I Good. thought it was excellent yeah. Saturday night entertainment. Yeah, certainly was. Ian McIntosh, you went all the way to Huddersfield. I certainly did. Where you learnt how to keep yourself warm with a laptop. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you um, look, people who play Football Manager will know this. If you set up too many leagues, the computer rapidly overheats and you get okay. very very hot power pack. But if you're in Huddersfield and you've dramatically underclubbed for the weather, you can get that power pack and stick it down your shirt. Did you actually do that? Yeah, yeah. I ran eight leagues and uh, set it to holiday, sort of autopilot thing. Mm-hmm. And off it went, chuntering away in the background, and I stayed nice and toasty. But how did you do your match report then? Well, it was just, that was in a different window. I, was, I wasn't actually playing it. It was just running in the background. No, I know, but so, if you stuff it down your shirt, Ian, how are you going to n- write your not, match report? Not the whole laptop, just the power pack. Oh, I see, yeah. the power pack. <laughs> no. Right. Well, that's a great idea, though, isn't it? Practical. Yes, exactly. I'm going to write a little little book of tips. All right, then. I had snow where I went. I went Did to you? Yeah, when I woke up Saturday morning, there was snow on the ground. and um, On the Welsh border. On the Welsh border, Yeah. But I'm not sure the new ground is... No, is no, it's very much the, 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 the groundsman quite proudly observed that you can take a corner in one country and score a goal in the other. Fantastic. Chester couldn't, but yeah. probably their, their visitors could, unfortunately. They're not having the best of runs at the moment. A very exciting game that we had a 4-0 win for Dagenham Redbridge. John Still, are you familiar with John Still? I am, yeah. What, what Venerable a, John Still. Is he the longest serving, and not at one club, but the longest, longestly active manager in the world he's been he he began in 1976 bloody hell yeah with Leightonston and still going now with Dagenham Redbridge still doing nice the business work yeah huh. anyway let's talk about the Premier League Michael Liverpool Chelsea you'll be excited to know that Daniel learnt 16 things <laughs> Six- it's always 16 <laughs> it's handy <laughs> Although I, I felt, I mean, you had some important ones in there, didn't you? I felt you were struggling a little bit to make 16. It was a weird game in that respect, in that quite a lot happened, but kind of felt quite ad hoc. Mm. It didn't feel like it was always to strategy. Um, 
Chelsea's was give it to Eden Hazard quite a lot of the time and Liverpool's was give it to Mohamed Salah quite right. a lot of the time. Um, these games quite often very, very tight midfield battles and the two teams that were picked, I expected exactly the same and yet that didn't actually happen. It was very open. It was... Very... Yeah, considering it's especially Chelsea's formation what was it eight defensive minded players yeah, you were saying yeah exactly exactly right yeah. as Klopp was keen to point out before the mm. game so Salah and Hazard are with a standout performance at least until William came on Michael yeah I thought Hazard first half absolutely ran the show and I was very disappointed with um, the refereeing of Michael Oliver um, because Liverpool seemed to have free reign to continually foul Hazard without Oliver reaching for his cards including one incident where Clavin almost literally just grabbed him around the midfield, almost rugby tackled him on the touchline I can't really understand how that cannot be a booking. It's just such an obvious deliberate foul to give Liverpool, uh, Liverpool an advantage. And uh, indeed, three minutes um, after half-time, um, Hazard was uh, clobbered by uh, Salah, in fact, when you know, kind of trying to launch a counter-attack and then was limping around for the rest of the game, really, and had nothing like the influence he had um, on the first half. So I thought, really, that was the key moment of, of the game, You know, aside from the two goals, the no. fact that Chelsea's best player couldn't run properly. OK, you also wanted to flag up, or you certainly did in, in, in your piece, uh, Daniel Azpilicueta, with some remarkable numbers there. Yeah, so he, he played the final game of 2014-15, their, their title-winning campaign, having had a couple of games rest before that. And since then, he's he's basically he's missed 219 league minutes in two and a bit seasons. And it's not just the consistency of his selection, it's his, the consistency of his performances at left-back in a back three, occasionally at centre-back in a back four as a right-back. And I, th- I almost think that versatility counts against him. It certainly counts against him in terms of Spain caps. I think he's only started seven competitive games for Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet he has probably been the, the division's most consistent defender over that period of time. Who is keeping him out of the Spain team? Well, I suppose Ramos and PK. I was just wondering, it's not Moreno, is it? No, although Moreno was called was up. But I, yeah, yeah he, but obviously... I mean, it's a long, quite a long time since Aspilicueta has played left back, isn't it? So, mm. um, as I said, I suspect it's that versatility that counts. It would make him a perfect, you know, squad player for a World Cup squad. Very versatile, but I think it probably counts against him in terms of actual starts for Spain. All right, he must be knocking on the door as Aspilicueta of kind of all-time Premier League greatest eleven, or certainly on the subs bench. You know, there's not many players who've been that consistent in, in such a variety of positions. I mean, if you're, if you're doing a kind of all-time Premier League eleven and you want a defender who can play anywhere, I think he's your man. Yeah, we you were in the days of two subs. Yeah. Market value. <laughs> yeah. Did William mean it, Ian? <laughs> no. No, no, no. There's not. no chance he might have? No. I think For that... me, if a player says he means it, I think it's churlish <laughs> of everyone to say, no, he didn't. He might but have meant it. The look on his face when that went in, that un, uh, unbounded delight. Um, but it's, it's weird. There's a strange statistical anomaly with Liverpool. No team in the Premier League has conceded more than Liverpool on the road. Hmm. And only one team now has conceded fewer at home. Liverpool have only shipped two goals at Anfield, and that was one of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means they're much better at home than away, which I know is unprecedented. But And also, uh, William was one of the substitutes that Conte brought on, another one being Pedro. And um, he's proved very good so far this season, Conte, at changing things from the bench, especially down that right-hand side. There's a game I was at, uh, at uh, against Watford, where Chelsea really were outplayed for the first hour and, and really could have lost the game. Richarlison missed a couple of uh, really easy chances. And Conte, again, looked to his bench. Uh, I, think, I think he brought on uh, Zappa Costa and Pedro that day. And Chelsea were outstanding for the last uh, 20 minutes. So, you know, Conte's done quite a good job in terms of... Um, 
you know, he hasn't got the greatest squad, I don't think, in terms of depth, which he's, you know, banged on about previously in the past. But those one or two players, again, you know, you look at someone like Pedro can play three or four different roles. He's, he's done really well to change games this season. Mm. All right. Klopp says the world is a strange and crazy place at the moment, so I can easily live with a point against Chelsea. Was it a fair point? Was it a fair result? I think he would have been extremely disappointed to draw the game having having taken the lead, clearly. Um, but I think it probably was. As Michael said, Eden Hazard was the dominant player of the of the first half. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, and Chelsea could easily have, have scored in that first half. And at that point, we know from Liverpool that when they play big clubs and concede first, there is a chance that they can kind of capitulate and wilt under under that pressure. So I think if Chelsea had scored the first goal, I suspect they would have held out and held Liverpool at bay. So, But it's not a bad result for Liverpool, especially with, with Tottenham dropping points as well. I think we can all agree that they're not a title challenger. Therefore, they look at the clubs around them and look to keep pace. And they are there or thereabouts having endured some pretty rotten performances this yeah. season. Some strange and confusing things on the uh, in the technical area towards the end. There was a, a big row apparently between Liverpool's assistant manager and Liverpool's goalkeeping coach over the time it took to get the substitute on, which they ah, didn't yes. manage to do before the goal. And then Jürgen... The Force official wouldn't allow them to... He accused them of time-wasting or something. Well, I... The way I'd read it was the fourth official seemed to be indicating that he was like, are you, uh, you getting this guy on? Come on, come on. And then they didn't get him on for one reason or another. Um, so there was internal dispute there. But then there was also Jurgen Klopp and his tactical debriefing of Sadio Mane on the pitch, which seemed to involve pretty much putting him in a headlock and walking around in circles <laughs> while shouting at him. But that's very Klopp, isn't it? it yeah. Was... Well, that's all excellent. But there's so much more to tell you about this weekend, including... Whether Man United might come a cropper this midweek. We'll get on to all of that after this. The Totally Football Show. We've always been free. And when you think about some of the best transfers of recent seasons, they've been free too. Zlatan to Man United. Pirlo from Milan to Juve. Joe Cole to Liverpool. Yeah. Well, we've teamed up with Paddy Power and right now you can join Paddy's Rewards Club. Just place five bets of £10 or more in a single week and you'll get a free £10 bet the next week. All you have to do is head to paddypower.com to find out more. T's and C's apply. Maximum £10 bonus per person per week. Specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. Be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Midweek round of games in McIntosh, which will see Chelsea host Swansea, Liverpool, go to Stoke. Man City, league-leading Man City, will take on the suddenly rather pepped-up Southampton, who had a big win at the weekend, will... Hear more about that match later on. You saw Man City. You went all the way to Huddersfield to the John Smith Stadium this weekend. Yeah. yeah. Where we gathered it was cold, yeah? <laughs> yes, it, it But was, the atmosphere was hot, wasn't it? it? Red hot. Red hot. Um, yeah, they like their clappers up there, which is not necessarily a bad thing. The same thing at Leicester, and, you know, the kids like it, and it makes a lot of noise. And I, I can think of worse things in football than, than plastic clappers, to be right. honest. Um, and, yeah, there's a really good atmosphere, and... It was interesting, actually, we were talking about this this time last week, the, the two Huddersfields. There's one Huddersfield that likes to clatter into people just beyond the halfway line and really take the game to people. And then there's the other Huddersfield that we saw at Anfield, which drops really, really deep. And uh, it was that one. Pep yeah. Guardiola was saying afterwards that he, he didn't know which Huddersfield he was going to get. He had to tell the team to prepare for these two different Huddersfields and then they'd see which one they got. And right. It was very obvious from the beginning that, that they got the deeper Huddersfield. Right, you're always on a knife edge, aren't you, between kind of 
holding out and disaster there, like giving away penalties. But they they managed for so long. They even took the lead. Yeah, they were they were brilliant. Um, uh, Schindler, in particular, uh, one saving tackle when Aguero was about to pull the trigger. They actually fist pumped and celebrated like a goal, which he was entirely right to do. It was one of the best tackles of the season. Um, and yeah, then they they took the lead. They were getting a little bit of joy down the right with Tommy Smith and Thomas Ince, hmm. who were uh, linking up really nicely. And there seemed to be a bit of a weak spot around Fabian Delph. Yeah. Um, that they seem to be getting a lot of joy out and swinging crosses in. And then, uh, yeah, just before half-time, tossed the corner in. Schindler got a head onto it, and it sort of ricocheted off Otmendi's chest into the back of the net. Um, Then it was just a question of how long they could keep that lead, and I think it was about 48 seconds. Yeah, well, they had had half-time. Well, yes, 15 minutes plus. (laughs) And then then City almost immediately, the penalty in Aguero puts that away. Yeah. And then Raheem Sterling towards the end... I thought what was really interesting is City will generally be very attacking anyway. They'll usually have, even their deepest defender will be up at the halfway line. But as time began to run out, they were pushing more and more until with 12 minutes left, um, Pep Guardiola took off Vincent Company, put on Gabriel Jesus, and essentially played with a one-man defence because his fullbacks aren't really defenders at the best of times. They're working as kind of basically two left-wingers, two right-wingers. And yeah, it was the most aggressive I've ever seen a football team go. But the key for me, you still get people who wonder about that decision to dump Joe Hart. But Edison, as a sweeper-keeper, you could really see it when you're there because there's 75 yards of open space. And all Huddersfield had to do was just hit a long one over the top and then burst into all that space. But of course, Edison's there, really quick, really brave, running out for headers and clearances. Um, so I guess, in a way, he was the other centre-back. All right. You mentioned Fabian Duff. Cormac O'Connor saying... What is the record Premier League winning margin and will City beat it? If you're looking at potential things that might go wrong, I mean, it has been touched on before, but again, this game highlighted the fact that Fabian Delph, you are everybody else's only hope. I think I'm right in saying the winning margin is 18 points. Is it? Which was Manchester United, uh, 90,000. February, really, it was was dead. They could challenge that. I think the other teams are relatively strong, though. That was a year where United didn't have a challenge. I think some of these teams will push on and get... Probably around the 80-point mark. So, will City get 98 points? Probably not. No, there, there are there are weaknesses there. They can't really afford to lose any more defenders with John Stones out and with, with Mendy out. They're right. already a weaker side without Mendy. Obviously, attacking midfielders, you could vaporise three of them and they'd still be a fantastic football team. Uh, it would be cruel and inhumane, but it's just to prove a point. Mm. Uh, they're full of goals. Um, I don't think it's over yet, but they're certainly stretching out a bit. Right. One thing to say, Raheem Sterling, now scoring goal in every ninety-five minutes in the Premier League this season. So that's better than Kane, Lukaku. Pick your player effectively apart from Sergio Aguero, and that's that's better than them. Um, and he's scoring important goals. He scored, I think, four or five winners already this season. Um, which for a player who we were told, certainly in an England shirt, was lacking on confidence. Mm. Um, he's. He he's either turned it around himself or Pep Guardiola has turned him around. I'm sure it's a bit of both. He's scoring goals after big misses as well. He's mm. been a lot like Mo Salah in that um, you know he's he's dropped a couple of clunkers and uh, he's still come back to score. I mean he had one against Huddersfield where he blasted into the side netting when he should have scored. Um, so yeah, it's, it speaks well of his character. I think, I think it's, it's all Pep's. Um, it's all Pep's doing because he told him to stand side on when receiving a pass. <laughs> a manager actually coaching his players has done. I think his mum actually his his. 
Sterling said that his mum had told him that he had to get into the penalty area more, and he's oh, really? since touched the ball in the area more than any other Premier League So player. she's earned that golden bathroom, then? Indeed. Well, <laughs> Indeed. This, of course, was something Sterling had privately complained about when he first moved to City. He went from having Brendan Rodgers coaching him quite heavily to having nothing at all. Right. A very laissez-faire training. So, yeah, I think that, that's worked out quite nicely okay. for him now. Here's a stat for you. Man City were behind at half-time in the Premier League and came back and won. It's the first time they've done that in 22 years. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's lo- that was a longer time than I thought you were going to say, James. Mm. They I'm have, glad. I'm they glad. have been behind. <laughs> they've, they've gone behind four times this season in all competitions and right. won three and drawn one. So okay. it's very much, this new re- resilience is very much their thing. Mm. But yeah, that, that, is, that has surprised me. Okay. Let's hope it's true, eh? Uh, <laughs> Spurs, they looked a bit shot. There was a, there was a little bit of a kind of post-Europe... A lassitude, I thought, to a lot of the top teams, narrow wins or uh, certainly Spurs. I think, I mean, Kane looks worn out, doesn't he? Yeah, you wonder about that injury um, he had a couple of weeks ago where he missed England duty. He's probably not 100%, but uh, even not being 100%, he, he scored the equal. Still got the goal, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so that's their seventh draw in their last 10 meetings with West Brom, and it's only one win in four now in the league for, for Spurs. West Brom, fine point for them. And a terrific opening goal for Salomon Rondon. Yeah, maybe the first time we've seen uh, Davinson Sanchez maybe not, uh, I wouldn't say make a mistake, but he wasn't quite uh, strong enough, I guess, to, sh- to shrug off Rondon. I mm. um, should say he's, he's had an incredible start to his Tottenham career, just slotted in in a difficult position um, very comfortably. But uh, it was almost like he underestimated how strong Rondon was. But it was also because of the fact that um, Rondon entirely miskicked it, wasn't it? I mean, you have that expression, if anything, he's hit that too well. And this was almost the perfect illustration of why hitting balls well is a problem because you completely throw not only um, Sanchez, but also Loris, who was bewildered by this scuffed shot, which then trickled in at the... Anyway, great for um, Gary Megson in what will apparently be the first of two games in charge. Am I right in saying he's still going to be there Tuesday night for the visit of... I think it's a visit of Newcastle... Uh, before Alan Pardew is uh, yeah. supposedly going to take over. What a shame Pardew's not in charge for the Newcastle game. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be exciting, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would. Uh, Arsenal, we asked if they were going to, but they didn't. But what else happened? Well, Burnley, uh, nice little summary you've done here, Ian. When Burnley met Arsenal in October 2016, Arsenal won courtesy of a controversial last-minute Cashel goal. When Burnley met Arsenal in January 17, Arsenal won courtesy of an injury time Alexis Sanchez penalty. What happened this time? It's another injury time Alexis Sanchez penalty. It's miserable, isn't it? Was it a penalty, do you think, Daniel? I think it was a penalty, and I think Sean Dyche thinks it was a penalty. But after the game, he said it was never not going to be given. Those sort of penalties against teams like us were never not given. I'm not saying it wasn't a penalty, but but it was always going to be given, which was basically him saying it's really annoying when referee gives foul, give fouls against us when we foul in the box. Um, it was a penalty. Burnley it was, were unlucky, think, yeah. but yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah, everyone focused on the push, but there was a bit of contact with the leg as well. I think was, it was there half a half a trip and half a push. All right, fans of statistics will be excited to know that Arsenal have won all six league games in which Sanchez and Lacazette have started together. Mm. Huh. Well. As I mentioned, big round of midweek fixtures coming up and I'm curious to know what you think about Watford's chances of doing it at home to Manchester United. United, who looked anything but convincing at home to Brighton on the weekend. Watford, who had a terrific result away at Newcastle. What about uh, that that Brighton game at Old Trafford? Close to the first ever clean sheet there, the Seagulls. Uh, Manchester United got lucky here, I think. Um, it was one of those games where you do question whether... 
Mourinho has the kind of coaching ability to to make his team break down deep opponents. He must have known what Brighton were going to you know, throw against them. And in the end, it was just a really lucky goal from Ashley Young. What should he have done, Ian? Well, far be it for me to tell Mourinho well, what he should have done. Well, you've done loads of football managing. <laughs> yeah, but Mourinho himself told Mourinho what he should have done um, after the game when he said... Uh, I don't think his heart's really in the PR game at the moment. He said, uh, that, you, know, you, you will probably want to write that I play too many attacking players. Mm. Yeah, you, you'll probably want to write that. And you'd probably be right if you do write that I use too many attacking players. It's like, But you're not about to say that. He's in your head, Ian. Well, yeah, God, yeah, maybe yeah. it's a it's a double bluff. Um, but he's, he's clearly just desperately trying to get people to go, Cavalier Mourinho screws up again. When is, will he hire a defensive coach? Or is he also trying to justify a, a really gritty, dour performance when they go to Vicarage Road uh, in, in a clash that surely, Daniel, we should be billing old moo versus new moo? Yeah, there was, there was, there is something in that comparison. Um, Marcus Silva, from what, from what Watford players have said this season, is an absolute obsessive in the lead up to uh, every league game. Um, he creates these dossiers that Mourinho kind of became famous for when he arrived in England and Ch- Chelsea's players you know, had the same surprise at just how detailed their match preparation was. And you saw in, in Will Hughes's opening goal against Newcastle just how how emphatically every player in the system knows what they're doing in every scenario. You know, you've got Richarlison who drags defenders out of the way. You've got the crossfield pass that comes into Richarlison. Um, you've got Will Hughes slightly hanging back as the centre-backs drift closer to their own goal to leave space for the pullback and then the finish. And they are an incredibly well-organised team. And it, it, it kind of sends up a lot of Premier League teams that he can come into a club and within four months have... A team who were kind of the Hertfordshire Globetrotters last season. You, know, you never knew what team selection you were going to get. You never knew how Watford were going to play. And I think only Manchester City and Chelsea have got have won more away games this season right. than Watford. Yeah, um, it didn't help them too much when City came to visit. They, they, they lost 6-0. No, it, but, but I think that'll happen. You know, Tottenham went to Huddersfield and won 4-0. Manchester City went to Watford and won 6-0. On occasions, these elite teams will click and will make teams look very silly. But Watford are five points off third after... You know, a third over a third of the season played. This is no fluke at the moment. It's also testament to their recruitment policy. And while I'm still not sure how I feel about the idea of owning three clubs at one point and how right that is, that global scouting network has brought in people like Richarlison, Decore. Whereas, for just for point of example, West Ham's recruitment policy, as we were discussing last week, seems to be set in 2012. Um, the, you know, Watford are looking at everything, every advantage they can gain from the way that modern football is, and and it's working. And, and obviously, an awful lot of credit to to the manager as well. Decor is an interesting one because he said even a couple of months ago he said that he was close to joining Lorient um, in the summer, but Silva spoke to him and persuaded him to stay and told him to be part of his plans and said he said he had a new role for him and. He, the way he's speaking, he he almost can't believe himself how well he's playing. Yeah, um, which is a sign of a good manager. If you can, you know, you can make players greater and a team greater than some of the parts, and players greater than they ever thought they could be, then you know it's easy to see why he's being linked with big jobs. Although Watford do need a new coach because the supporters' <laughs> vehicle broke down, and this is a lovely little gesture uh, ahead of the game against Newcastle, and the club paid for taxis to get what was it about fifty fans. Yeah, yeah, to get them up from uh, Donington service stations. Oh, that's that's yeah. great. Well done, Watford. Just going back to Mourinho, did he hear oh, yeah. his his uh, really warm words for the supporters no, after the say? game? He said it was quite a surprise, but the supporters were fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, a word too, just on the Chelsea fans. Mm. While Watford got stuck in Donington and the club got taxis to get them to the game, poor old Chelsea fans, uh, they had a chartered train that they weren't able to get out to Liverpool South Parkway Station in time for. So the train left without them. But they chartered the train. What was the train leaving without them? Well, it had to, apparently, because uh, it had a scheduled route in amongst all the regular routes, so it couldn't, oh. it couldn't hang on. The problem was they underestimated how long it takes to get from Anfield all the way out to Liverpool South Parkway. And having been stuck there for just over an hour quite recently mm. I've a genuine sympathy for the Chelsea fans because that is not a nice station to get stuck at you get All stuck right. at Lime Street you can have a party All right. but not out there the Hornets won their clash with Man United 3-1 last season at Vicarage Road what are the odds of that happening again Daniel? It's really interesting, actually, because Manchester United now go into a run of three games where they lost five league games last season and they lost each of their ne- last, you know, the next three games, they lost each of those last season. The equivalent what, fixtures yeah, last Yeah, Watford away, uh, Arsenal away and Manchester City at home. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, for all their grinding out wins against teams like Brighton, this is a, a significant test. and It's not outside the realms that Manchester City could be 12, 13, 14 points clear coming wow. into that derby. Troy Deeney, speaking of kind of disciplinary issues, he will be back from his suspension for this game on, is it Tuesday night? What do you think, Michael? I don't know. Watford, the last two big games they've played, they were excellent against Chelsea and then lost. And I thought they were really poor against Arsenal and won. Mm. So I haven't quite worked out what Watford are all about to right. Ian? I'd say that they've got Man United uh, in midweek and then they've got Tottenham at the weekend. I can see them definitely <laughs> winning one of them. I think they're, they're more than good enough. They're organised enough. They've, they've got fresh legs as well. They're playing two teams who've been playing Champions League football. Mm. Um, I can definitely see them getting one win. Interesting. Well, that's coming up, as I say, on Tuesday night. Before we move on, we should, though, touch on Newcastle's performance in that defeat to uh, Watford because it, it was quite extraordinary. Watching that, did you think there's something very wrong in this team? There's certainly something wrong in that club. Right. Uh, it's a club that's clearly waiting for, for its takeover. Um, the the striking options are simply not good enough and makes them far too easy to defend against. Right. Uh, Jose Lu is a, is a trier, but he's not an achiever. Um, and they're missing Jamal Asel at, at centre-half, um, their captain. Um, but in terms of the way the rest of the players who were there approached it, and particularly at the back, and also I would, I, I would ask, I mean, you were making the point that um, Silva was pretty much targeting Yedlin on, on, the, uh, on the right wing. And there were some embarrassing scenes, frankly, as he was left behind again and again by Richarlison. Uh, why Why did the manager, why did Rafa Benitez not do anything about that? He doesn't have a, an awful lot of options <laughs> in that position. Um, he's got a couple of defenders out. Um, he he likes DeAndre Edlin for his ability to overlap the winger and Matt Ritchie will tuck inside and Matt Ritchie enjoys dribbling inside and leaving space for Edlin to, to overlap. So he... At home, I guess he thought he would rather have that attacking option, um, but yeah, it was almost like a, almost like a cup tie where a lower league team has got a player who is clearly worse than everyone else in his eleven, and and Marco Silva is is too good a coach um, to not spot that. And and you're right, Yedlin was embarrassed. Right, he'll, he'll be annoyed with the first guy, I think, Benitez, because you know the, the fundamental thing in his coaching philosophy is the team remaining compact, and there's a mm. massive gap between the defence and, and the midfield. That's exactly the kind of goal he doesn't want to concede. Didn't that get worse, though, as the, as the game went on? The players not, not getting back? Not even looking bothered about getting yeah, back? Yeah, to a certain extent. But, I mean, in that situation, they did have players back, but they just were, you know, there was a massive gap between the lines, which, mm. which I think will infuriate him in particular. I think maybe it was the third one where 
There was a, a kind of conspicuous not botheredness yeah. about central midfield is an issue. They've got Isaac Hayden coming back from suspension, who I'm sure will play against West Brom. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, John Joe Shelby is a is a good pass for the ball, but can go missing in games. Isaac Hayden is, to all intents and purposes, a Championship footballer. And I mm. think a lot of them are, aren't they? I, d- yeah. I just don't think this a great team. I think Benitez has done a good job with really limited options. Even someone like Matt Ritchie has been consistently good in the Championship and I've never been impressed with him in the in the Premier League. I, I mean, how many players in that first eleven do you think are Premier League quality? Uh, two I'm, or three, I think. I'm really struggling to find many. All right, well, that's why I guess they've lost four games in a row now. They're drifting down towards the sticky end of things where, if they're very unlucky, they might meet Everton soon because they're even further down there. We'll talk about what's going on with the Toffees after this. Now, before we get into all that Everton unpleasantness, let's catch up with our continental cousins. France, Paris Saint-Germain, nine points clear now, just a 2-1 win for them against their rivals Monaco on Sunday night. Monaco actually slipping back to third as Everton's friends, Lyon, move into second place on goal difference because they won 5-0 at Nice. 5-0, Daniel Story. 5-0. Nice now very much in the bottom of three. Heading for Ligue 2. Crikey. Along with Metz. Oh, Ranieri's Nantes lost again. They're 2-1 at Rennes. That's enough French talk, though, because... Ta-da! Here's Raphael Honigstein. What a stroke of luck you're here, because there's plenty to talk about in Germany. Not least, the Revier derby. Wow. This was eventful. <laughs> it was, James. A derby for the ages, I'd mm. say. So Dortmund this is... 4-0 up. Right. After 25 minutes. So and then what happened? It's Borussia, just for anyone who doesn't know, Riviera Derby is Borussia Dortmund against yes. Schalke. Yes. So Dortmund, who'd been on a rotten run, hadn't won in what, nine games or something? One win in nine. One win in nine. And they go 4-0 up. Brilliant. Yeah. And so brilliant, in fact, that they tweet a picture at half-time of one of their players drinking a cup of tea. Oh, my Toprak. Oh, it's Toprak. Th- yeah, it? drinking a tea. And I think that is a bit of a um, reference to the Mesut Ozil tea drinking. Is it? GIF. Right. Yes. But... Unlike the Arsenal one, it backfired because Schalke came back somehow, turned it on, Dortmund's frailty came back to the surface, and at the uh, Signal Iduna Park, where you just don't see these things happen, Schalke came back, third minute of extra time, of injury time, scored the equaliser, 4-4. Four, 4-4. Four. Four, four. And they obviously they feel, they feel as if they've won the game. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying also an homage probably to Arsenal and then, <laughs> yeah. then Newcastle. Yeah, uh, um, I saw a tweet that this hasn't happened in the top five leagues since Arsenal in 2001. Really, since Newcastle. the Czech T.O.T. game? Yeah. So it is not a dangerous lead as such. <laughs> right, although it certainly proves so for Peter Bosch. What does he have to do to be fired? <laughs> I mean, this was supposed to be his make or break game. I suppose it was so chaotic and so strange and so out of the ordinary and they had the AGM the next day that they felt they couldn't quite pull the trigger, that they would give him at least one more shot. Wow. It is, in a way, as Hans-Joachim Watzke de CEO said at the AGM, their season in miniature, miniature because they started so well, um, scored a lot of goals, looked like by far like the best team in the Bundesliga. And then since then, since October, completely faded and fallen apart mm. and it's very difficult to explain you can of course say the problem is Bosch's system it's too attacking it doesn't quite work they leave a lot of gaps it's naive but I think it almost goes deeper than that there, there are suggestions that there's something wrong with their fitness because they tend to concede a lot of goals after the 60th minute in every single game there is a real concern I think that what happened to them before the Monaco game with the uh, the bomb going off 
uh, next to their bus, which was a targeted assassination attempt, that some of that has still perhaps not kind of been worked through and that that frail it, frailty and that kind of, yeah, kind of lack of winning mentality because we are perhaps preoccupied with other stuff, even if it's only a few percentage points, mm. might have might have an impact. It's certainly one of the reasons why the club haven't been more critical of the team of late. They feel that there is maybe still an issue there. A bigger picture. Um, and Bosch has been told uh, by the club to to sort it out or else. Um, I think they like him. I think the players like him. He seems a very likable guy. He hasn't done anything to to throw anyone under the bus, hasn't blamed anyone apart from himself, really. And I think they don't want to fire him. There's also, uh, I think, a more pragmatic concern that there isn't really any ready-made uh, replacement right now. Thomas mm. Tuchel is obviously not going to come there for obvious reasons. Um, there's been talk of Hitzfeld as some kind of fireman, but he's he's already said no, definitely not. Uh, Nagelsmann is not going to leave halfway through the season. So really, realistically, Bosch was already uh, a manager who was quite far down the pecking order because he couldn't get the one the man who wanted. The man who wanted, Lucien Favre, is having a rotten time in Liga. I think they lost again. Yeah, this well, they're in the bottom three now. Yeah, so. He might be available, he but be available. perhaps not really the right guy to come in right now to okay. to stem the tide. So it's it's a problematic setup, which of course hasn't been helped by this idea, not by the idea, by the fact that Schalke have overtaken them in the league. Right. Look as if they have the perfect manager in Dominico, Domenico Tedesco, um, another German wonder kid, 31, 32 years old, um, who's who's managed to do something so far that no one's been able to do in recent years, which is actually to make Schalke a proper footballing side. Wow. So they've now presumably closed the gap a little bit with Bayern by one point because Bayern lost their first game under Jupp Heynckes after, what, nine? Yeah, nine, nine wins, wins in a row. I mean, the nine wins in a row papered over the cracks a little bit because some of the games were hugely unconvincing. Um, none more so than the Anderlecht game where they're just real, quite awful. And against Gladbach, they kind of just... Mm, slept through the first half didn't really wake up until very late then did enough probably to get a draw but in- injuries are beginning to bite um, they have none of their uh, regular sort of attacking players apart from Lewandowski fit uh, there's a problem in the left back uh, situation and I think some of the issues that have been sort of underlying Bayern's demise mm, the lack of um, clear coherent kind of playing strategy is sort of coming back now to the fore. There was all this momentum, all this euphoria of getting rid of Ancelotti. Um, that The players really responded to that, but you could see that that bounce now has come to an end and now Heinkes really needs to get down to actually working with his team and deciding what kind of football he wants to play with them. Rafa, a couple of other questions. Is Aubameyang going to be moving on from Dortmund in January? don't think he'll move in January. Um, Dortmund have been off the record, really quite willing to sell him now, not just this summer, but also the one before. But the right money never came in, so they made a decision, if we get some X, we will sell, and we've got these guys lined up. Uh, Jean-Kevin Augustin, by the way, from Leipzig, the under-21 French national, he was one of the guys that they had earmarked as his replacement. Uh, but when the deal never happened, but Aubameyang, of course, they couldn't afford anyone. So I think in January, Dortmund are extremely reluctant, like most Bundesliga sides, to sell anyone knowing that they can't get anyone in um, unless some sort of really out, uh, dramatic circumstances happen. So it's very unlikely. But just on that note, mm. you know, you would have know, you would have seen that Sven Mislintat, the uh, Dortmund scout, have moved right. to Arsenal. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, Vatska basically apologized for that at the AGM yesterday, saying, uh, it's down to me, I should have done a lot more to keep him. It was my mistake that I let Thomas Tuchel, he didn't mention the name, but I let Thomas Tuchel treat him so badly for one and a half years to get to the point where he felt he had to leave. That should have never happened. Right. Um, and also, I don't know if you saw, um, Jose Mourinho was saying some interesting things about Mikatarian, uh, to wit that his performances have been decreasing step by step. Is he potentially on his way back to Dortmund? I don't know if he's on his way back to Dortmund because Dortmund were a little bit unhappy the way he, he left there. Um, they felt he was a bit unprofessional the way he sort of forced through his move. Um, they were quite keen to keep him. And it's one of the reasons why perhaps Tuchel struggled so much because he was the third guy that was supposed to stay. They sold already Gundogan and Hummels, that was clear. Mkhitaryan, they thought they might keep. So I don't see necessarily a way back for him. I see though a huge market for him but because the guy, when he plays well, is is an absolute superstar. And I just wonder if it's just one of those creative players who Mourinho just always doesn't really get on with because um, they're not behaving like soldiers and he wants soldiers on the pitch. It'd be interesting to see if there's going to be any reaction uh, at all. I guess United are wealthy enough to sort of discard players like that. It doesn't matter to them if a 30 or 40 million euro player doesn't work, they'll just they'll just sell him. So, and if of course if it's industrial reaction, Mourinho can say, ah, you know, another brilliant piece of management here. I had to slam him before he woke up. I guess they're not really entirely bothered or not, whether it works out or not. It seems as almost, almost as if he's written them off. Mm. Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Chelsea, were it not for Mourinho, I know this is a little bit of a what if, could these days be lining up with Lukaku, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Mohamed Salah. Salah, but the extraordinary amount of talent that he has uh, thrown on the scrap heap or at least sold off for, for big dollar. Rafa, thank you so much for being with us. My absolute pleasure. We will catch up with you again soon. Auf Wiedersehen. Tweet us at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at thetotallyfootballshow.com. Wednesday night, Ian McIntosh, Everton, West Ham. David Moyes goes back to Goodison. Would they have him back, do you think, if he was available right now? Uh, I'd probably not. I guess not. that was an option. Probably they? not. Probably I, not. I, don't, I think there's, there's a feeling among the Everton supporters that, that I've heard from that they're not quite at the higher Pulis, Allardyce, Moyes kind of stage yet. They still think that, you know, that there's enough potential there and enough season there that they can repair this under their own steam. Well, they're in 16th place. Mm. Uh, they're only two points off the drop. And am I right in saying that Performances seem to be getting worse, oh, not better. Nine goals conceded in their last two matches. I mean, I, I just, what do you even say about defending like that? At one point, I think Joe Royal actually came down and just put his arm around David Unsworth, which I think was the only decent thing that anyone connected with Everton did that day. It's now, I think, nearly five weeks mm. since Ronald Koeman went, and... Um, they still seem no closer to finding a manager. Uh, there's been some reporting by Matt Hughes at the Times that suggests that no one really knows literally what they're doing, that you've got the owner wants one person, um, Steve Walsh wants someone else, presumably Bill Kemwright has his own ideas. Um, there's also been suggestions that this was the reason for their recruitment confusion during the summer where they didn't fill key positions, specifically replacing Romelu Lukaku. Um, they just look a complete mess. And we were speaking earlier about Watford and how you have like everything just clicking together. The um, uh, What's the leadership that Man City called for a few years ago? Oh, holistic. Uh, holistic. Oh, yes, 
uh, where Watford have the holistic leadership that Man City so famously called for a few years ago, with everything working towards one point. With Everton, you have nothing working towards anything. Horrific, more like. Oh, nice. The idea yeah. of, of sacking a manager, people see that the public image of that is just a snap decision, but the reality is that the days and weeks before the sacking, you kind of scout around, you have a word in the ear of an agent or an ear of a club to see if someone might be available. It looks as if Everton have completely forgotten that process and just woke up one morning and thought, we're going to sack Ronald Koeman well, this morning, and then thought, actually, we probably need another manager now. I, I can only imagine, given that you know these are sentient people who can walk and talk and breathe and are not completely dunderhead, dunderheaded, that they must have just assumed that Marco Silva was going to jump across from Watford. I, but it is a little bit like taking one tyre off on, on, on your car without checking if you've got a spare. Yeah, and the thing is... is it's, it's far worse than that, actually. Far worse. <laughs> the first team key players, like Everton's, don't perform badly for no reason. They are, they are decent footballers. Some of them are having horrific seasons, and Ashley Williams is by far the worst. But they don't play badly for, for no reason. It, the, the, you know, the example is set from the top down, and... There is, as, as Ian says, there's no leadership there, so there is no example for those players to follow. And when that happens, and you have a caretaker manager who just seems to pick, sort of throw players' names on the on the table and then pick them in those positions, as he is at the moment, then it's always going to look shambolic. And this is this is just the mess that we can see. Uh, what's going on beneath mm. the waterline? Mm. Uh, it's anyone's guess. Look at Wayne Rooney has been uh, an unused sub for two league games on the bounce. I can imagine he's taking that pretty badly behind the scenes. Michael Keane, who started the season quite well, his confidence is just diminishing more and more of every day. And Jordan Pickford, who must have left Sunderland thinking, phew, I'll have a much easier campaign here with a decent team in front of me. Oy, what a mess. Could I say something very much on a tangent about uh, holistic leadership? Oh, good, yeah. Uh, well, everyone laughed at Manchester City when they said that when they sacked Mancini and brought in Pellegrini. But... Uh, I think a year later, I went to a presentation by uh, Manchester City's chief scout, because that's the kind of thing I do when I have some time off. Mm. Um, and they basically showed these really interesting video clips about how I think it was a game against Tottenham, and they scouted Tottenham, and they found that statistically, Tottenham played a particularly high percentage of their passes through their two central midfielders. Mm -hmm. So they then got that, and then they devised a training strategy that basically involved Manchester City's two central midfielders always pushing up and others tucking in so they could shut down those two players. And then they went to a video from the game where they showed uh, City pressing those two central midfielders and winning the ball and creating a chance. There was a problem at City because Roberto Mancini, who was there, wasn't someone who basically got on with the scouts and got on with the coaches, as you can probably imagine. Right. Um, and they wanted someone who could bring those things all together. So people laughed at the word holistic, but I think it is how you need to run a football club. I, I like synergy myself. There's synergy. <laughs> synergy is quite nice. Synergy. Yeah. yeah. If you if you wanted an illustration, uh, Daniel, I, I doubt you need one, but if you want an illustration of what a funny old game it is, uh, Miguel Delaney pointing out that Everton are the only side so far this season to take points off Man City. And Adam Bate replying to him, the plans for Everton to solve their problems is to give uh, Unsworth's job to the only man he's actually beaten so far, Marco Silva. Because that's the one win they've had. Yeah. It's curious, isn't it? Well, mm. on, the, on the City thing, Everton also held City at the Etihad last season. And, of course, Ronald Koeman was you know, best mates with Pep Guardiola and they used to room together back in the Barcelona days. So you wonder whether there was something about his system that... His coaching philosophy did kind of uh, expose, or you know, at least he knew what he was going to be up against. Right. By the way, Saints, yes, who inflicted those goals on Everton, 
Is it a coincidence that they suddenly score four goals in Charlie Austin's first start of the season? I'd like to see a bigger sample size, um, but purely because the Everton defending was so catastrophically bad that mm. that I don't know how much is due to Southampton being good and how much is due to Everton being bad. I suspect we'll find out when Southampton go and play Manchester City. Yeah, um, Southampton, who have only scored three goals on the road all season. For Ryan Burton in that game, who has a real chance of establishing himself as England's first choice left back, and he he assisted two goals against. Uh, Everton, which is the first time he's assisted a goal in the league since March. Which, when you are a left, firmly a left back, and yet you want to be a wing back for for your country, is a very good thing for him, I suspect. Mm, all right, Southampton anyway, a tough match at the Etihad, and as I said, you know, as we mentioned some time ago at Goodison, it's going to be Everton against West Ham and David Moyes, who um, got a one-one draw in his first home game with with the Hammers, one-one draw with Leicester. Uh, lots of spirit, uh, I believe, Ian. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a strange one in that a draw at home with a Leicester side in the bottom half is, is seen as a, as a good thing. Um, but it could have been so much worse because after seven minutes and a horrible goal to concede, um, you just thought, oh God, where, how bad is this going to get? Um, and not only did they get back, getting back into the game was one thing, but there was actually noise at the London Stadium. And after all the concerns away at Watford in, in the previous game, where the fans were understandably furious at the board and furious at the state of things, the fans were actually behind the team and it seemed to make a bit of difference. And just for the first time, he thought, maybe, maybe he can get out of this. Speaking of atmosphere, just imagine how it's going to feel inside the O2 brackets indigo bit close brackets on Wednesday when myself uh, you self uh, Ian McIntosh mm-hmm. Rafa who was in before and also top funny man Kevin Bridges take the stage for our second ever totally football totally live thing and we're going to be giving away beer shaving kits books and computer games it says it's basically it's like Cracker Jack but with football <laughs> check out our Twitter and Facebook pages or the totallyfootballshow.com for ticket details but it's a forlorn hope surely Listeners to footballing podcasts will know that there's enough tough decisions to make these days without having to worry about which razor to use. So why don't you take the hassle out of your shaving routine by signing up with our pals Cornerstone. Never run out of blades, never need to shop again, just let them know how often you shave and they'll take care of the rest. Get £10 off your first order and find out more about your perfect shave box at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Wider world of football, Michael, part two. Yep. Spain, you watched Valencia-Barcelona because it was a massive top-of-the-table clash. It was a massive top-of-the-table clash and it was a very entertaining game despite the fact that uh, I was disappointed with Valencia in terms of how deep they sat and how oh. defensive they were. I bigged them up on Thursday saying they always go for it. Well, they didn't here. They sat back and they, they took the old kind of part-the-bus strategy against Barcelona. But it was quite an interesting game and featured one of the most peculiar incidents you'll see all season. Are you talking about the disallowed Leo Messi goal? Yes. Well, not even disallowed. I guess just not given. Not given. Not Sorry, given. Yeah. Um, for anyone who didn't see it, Messi had a shot from about 25 yards out, straight at Neto, the goalkeeper, who managed to not catch the ball in such a spectacular fashion that he dropped it through his legs <laughs> and over the goal line and then had to do a kind of Roy Carroll-esque scramble to get the ball from over the, the goal line. And it was just so clearly in from the first angle. And I do have some sympathy for the linesman. He wasn't in line because 
there's no reason he should be in line. He's sprinting to get back. His pitch level, which I think people often forget, is not the best level to be at in, mm. in terms of these things. But it was clearly over the line. And of course, La Liga is the only major league where yep. they don't use uh, goal line technology. And so the Barcelona uh, players were off essentially supporting by the corner flag while the Valencia, fan, uh, Valencia players uh, got on with a counter-attack and nearly scored through Simone Zaza, which would have been incredible. Right. I mean, for, the, for more than one reason. The Liga having brought it in because it would cost too much money. I believe. Yeah, supposedly. Yeah. Um, <coughs> Remarkable. But anyway, the draw, as it stood, a 1-1 draw, which means the Valencia, well, there's no change. Yeah, it was an interesting game. I mean, it opened out after half-time. I mean, on a tactical level, I thought it was interesting. Both teams pretty much played 4-4-2, which you just don't associate with Spanish football. Um, Valencia went ahead through Rodrigo when um, Jose Gea went down the left, overlapped, Rakitic wasn't really tracking him and, and crossed for Rodrigo. And then it was Barcelona's left-back... Um, Jordi Alba, who got them back in the game, of course, at his old team, mm. with a wonderful pass from Messi. Messi is almost playing a old school Argentine number ten role now, orchestrating things a little bit of a slower pace. But I thought it was concerning for Barcelona how little they had going in behind. I mean, they, you know, in the, the glory days, if you like, they always had the possession football with so many midfielders, but they always had players running in behind. Pedro, in particular, David Villa, mm. um, Suarez was playing that role, but got caught offside. I think about seven times, wow. just couldn't time his runs, and you think. You know, he, he doesn't look very physically sharp at the moment. You think maybe he's getting caught offside because he's just not fast enough. So it's up to Jordi Alba and to a certain extent, Semedo on the other flank, who's proved a very good signing to provide that movement in behind. Barcelona, who are coming off a, a nil-nil draw away in Turin. Daniel, did you want to throw yeah, something Yeah, I was in? just going to say, for all the criticism of Real Madrid's front line this season, Suarez has arguably been the worst of the lot between the two clubs. He looks so, so far off not just his Liverpool best, but even his first season at Barcelona best. That, and, and at the age he is, that might be that for Luis Suarez in peak wow, form. Wow, do you think? He just looks... The offside is, is, a, is a case in point because it, it, it almost looks as if he's, having, he's kind of two seconds later in the game and he's not reacting until things have happened and defenders are just thinking quicker than him at the moment, which is really worrying. Leo Messi, in the meantime, uh, settling that uh, that long that long running uh, contract uh, extension thing with a, a pretty massive what is it about ninety million euros a year, I think forty five net that was the figure I I saw quoted. So I don't know. I mean, it depends how much tax they're going to be paying. But okay, so net. <laughs> no, it's just a very real question, particularly with you know, the Spanish giants. But yeah, so forty five million a year net. Euros. Well, that's that's obviously good news for Barcelona because you know he's their only star at the moment. I think actually the Spanish league really is probably at its lowest quality for quite a long time, maybe a decade or more. Mm. I mean, Barcelona are top. It's not a great Barcelona team. You take every Barcelona season for the last ten years, it's probably the seventh or eighth best team, and they're streaking away at the top of the league. Valencia, this wasn't their best game. They're a good team, and Marcelino's done a really good job, but. Again, it's not a, a classic team. You know, this is a league that's really dominated European football for the last decade, but uh, there's not a great amount of quality in that at the top of the league that season. You've mm-hmm. got good odds on uh, a year ago on Simone Zaza being involved in a title race in any top tier <laughs> league. Incredible. Fair if, point. If the superiority of Spain wanes, hmm. who takes over? I mean, it, does the Premier League step up? Is that like the recognised yeah. best league, think, or well, I, is it Germany's turn? I think Serie A. Would have had big ideas of itself in the summer. I know Milan have been well below par, but the talk in the summer was of a genuine title race, and I think we've got one with Napoli and with potentially with Inter as well. So maybe Syria sort of a reboom, but 
yeah, the Premier League would consider itself above that. Other contenders include, uh, of course, the SPL. <laughs> or, Daniel, Belarus. Yeah, where Dynamo Mix thought they'd won the league. Uh, Barty then went 3-1 down, needing a draw uh, to seal the title. 3-1 uh, down with, I think, 12 minutes to go. And scored in the last minute to win the title. Wow. They if are only Martin run... Tyler have been commentating. <laughs> you think that's exciting? Oh, go on. What? what about the Georgian title? Oh. Did you see this? No. We're all, all over it. Um, Dynamo Tbilisi battling out with Torpedo Kutasi. I'm sure you've seen a few times this season. Um, uh, Torpedo Kutasi were leading 1-0. Um, Dynamo Tbilisi had a 96th minute penalty. If they scored it, Tbilisi won the title. If yep. they missed it, Kutasi won the title. Right. They missed it. No way. Yeah. That is a dramatic finale. Yeah. All right. Hey, but you were talking about Serie A in all seriousness, and we're going to have a big news roundup with James Horncastle on Thursday, but, of course, the uh, headline news today, uh, this Monday, is the fact that Milan, after their 0-0 draw with Torino at the weekend, have let Vincenzo Montella go and replaced him with one of the, you know, Vecchia Gloria, Gennaro Gattuso. Gennaro Gattuso, who's had an interesting time of it. <laughs> as um, He'll be feisty. Well, his record with Pisa last season was extraordinary. Well, there were difficult circumstances, no? Difficult circumstances. I mean, just in a statistical sense, yeah. they had the second best defence in the league and finished bottom. Yeah. Which shows you how, how few goals they scored. But uh, I think Montella is actually a really interesting coach. It's been a difficult situation for him at Milan with so many players coming in. Yeah. But I think he's a perfect manager for Everton's squad. Montella. You look at what he did at um, Fiorentina. He brought in so many creative passing midfielders. Valero, Aquilani, Matti Fernandez, David Pizarro. And you thought, well, how on earth is he going to accommodate all of them? And he did it with a, a 3-5-2 or with a diamond midfield. And that's all the, the kind of players that Everton have got. What kind of manager wants a load of ball-playing midfielders? Vincenzo Montella does. So I say give him six months to learn English. Poor bloke. He's and, just been uh, sacked and now you're linking him with Everton. I think Everton's a really good... Not the, the current situation's difficult, but I think Everton's a decent club to take over. It's a know. very interesting shout, Michael. A good squad. Do you know, he's not the only uh, manager suddenly available in City. There's been three gone in the last week. But this weekend, Napoli won at the top, Inter also won, and Juventus, who are now third... One so they have kind of shifted away a little bit uh, from the two Roman sides, both of whom drew. Roma were a goal up thanks to Stephen Al Sharawi, and then uh, there was a very regrettable incident. Did you see Daniel De Rossi? Basically, he he slapped Gianluca Lapadula. It, it basically just slapped him in the face and then went down clutching his own face. But he <laughs> forgot that they have VAR there and, and he was done and there was a penalty and Genoa equalised. But ah. um, Steve Malanga says, for how many matches would you suspend De Rossi? A, a lot. I mean, it was. I was really surprised at him. You know, a player of that stature, Roma captain. Yeah. He didn't just go in, you know, hard or something. He actually slapped him in the face. It was a very sneaky move. More on all of that City Air business on Thursday. Uh, plenty more to discuss. We'll get back to the Premier League after this. You stayed with us this long, listeners, and you won't be disappointed because here's the bit where we talk about Palace, the fact that they got a win, the fact that they could move off the bottom of the table midweek, and the fact that they're taking on their eternal rivals, Brighton. Ian. Hey, I got all kinds of pelters last week because I praised Crystal Palace. And I said, I don't think they're that bad. And I think they're very close to getting out of it. Who 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 criticised you for that? Oh, just people. 
Right. It's okay. People say all sorts of things. I noticed you were getting a dog's abuse, is that the phrase? Yeah, yeah. For suggesting that Man City's unbeaten run was actually 11 games as opposed to 18. Yeah, it's a nonsense. And I went onto their website and checked. And even they've got it on their fixtures results page as a draw. Who have? Uh, Man City. Despite the fact they put out a news report saying it's a win, their fixtures results page is a Let's draw, agree so. to disagree, I think is the line you want. Right? <laughs> they're, they're, they're disagreeing with themselves, James. All right, then. Palace haven't played go. badly um, for, for a number of games now. They got this last-minute winner against Stoke. That, that's a, a good win. Um, they got that last-minute equaliser against West Ham. They actually played very well against Spurs, right. um, only to lose. And they beat Chelsea uh, going back. I think that's six games going back. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a base of a team there. There's, there's something that they can build on. There's lots of pace up front. Um, and Tech the, is back. Not necessarily sure if that's a positive, but um, the way they have those wingers as twin centre-forwards peeling off wide and causing all kinds of problems, and they got a win that they deserved here. And no, they're not very far off. But Um, if Shawcross hadn't cleared off the line for the other team... Yeah, if my Uncle Arthur didn't have balls, it'd be... But that was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary miss. Um, But I think Palace deserved a bit of good fortune after all this but look at their games coming up Brighton will be very very difficult Um, very few people could drill a defence like Chris Hewton and they've been outstanding this season Um, they've also got West Brom and then they've got Bournemouth at home these are winnable games Mm. by Christmas they could be out of this but that Brighton fixture will be anything but easy because of course it's one of the biggest most storied rivalries in English football (laughs) yeah they loathe on account of um, because Ian well, there's a number of different reasons. Um, one of it is a rivalry between uh, Alan Mullery and Terry Venables and how their two teams were, were clashing for promotion. Uh, others put it down to the plagiarisation. There's a really good article in the Times on this, by the way. That's oh, yeah. why I'm sounding rarely informed. Um, a, a plagiarisation of the chant of eagles being converted to seagulls. Um, and also, the How does that chant go? Eagles. That's the one. I had no idea that had originated at one of those two teams. (laughs) Well, there's an argument over who started that one. And uh, also the terrible (coughs) tackle that ended the career of Jerry Ryan by Crystal Palace's Henry Hewton. Hewton, you say? Yes, brother of Chris. No way. I know. I told you it was worth waiting for. Wow. Was was the poo incident also? The poo incident is also involved. I was going to leave that one out. What? What kind of podcast do you think this is? (laughs) There was quotes from Gus Poet last week Mm. where he said, um, sensationally, said... That was a that was a massive problem. I got effectively I got done in by that poo because it was a lucky poo. (laughs) It was a lucky poo that inspired our opposition, which is a reasonable excuse for. Just for anyone who's struggling with this, Palace Mm. turned up at Brighton to find that their changing room was basically covered in poo. I thought it was just one in the one middle of the room. Right in the middle. Of I think it was just one sort of modern art exhibit, like a stack. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and it, you know, metaphorically, they pin that to the dressing room wall. <laughs> Very metaphorically. Yeah. Yes. Martin Luther nailing his feces to the wall. Right. Well, we'll see if Rowengi is on the cards on Tuesday. Swansea. Where are they going? They're going to Chelsea, aren't they? And they just had a, a point. They got a point uh, at home to Bournemouth. I know there's something you want to tell us about this, Daniel. They're going to Chelsea and they're going down pretty ah. quickly. They've In their last three games, they've played Bournemouth, Burnley and Brighton and they've had four shots on target in total. Wow. Um, they have effectively piled everything onto the young shoulders of Tammy Abraham and it's not working. They've and done he a, can't even play this midweek. No, and he's done a, they've basically done a budget, I said, budget version of Everton in that they 
uh, Everton sold a striker and replaced him with lots of midfielders, and they sold an attacking midfielder and replaced him with lots of central midfielders. And bizarrely, the same players at the centre of the, the yeah, transfer there. Absolutely, one loses Sigurdsson. Yeah. And doesn't replace him. The other tries to replace the centre forward with Sigerson. The, the worry for Swansea is that they actually haven't defended that badly. I think there's ten Premier League teams that have kept fewer clean sheets than Swansea, and mm. they kept another one at the weekend. But their attack is so poor and so lacking any imagination. Um, and we all saw this coming when they sold Gilfie Sigurdsson. We knew we all knew how important he was to their attack, and and so must they. So this this is no surprise. Clement will eventually, I suspect, pay the price and. I think four of the bottom five have sat their managers this season and they're the exception. OK, because um, I did read something about Tony Pulis being linked, which I know seems an anathema to the the, the, the historic way of you know, philosophy of football down there. But pushers comes to shove and, and they need some more pragmatism. And um, he's Welsh, they're a Welsh club, it kind of fits. But the issue is not them conceding goals. Generally, when Tony Pulis comes in as a firefighter, it's because a team is sh- shipping too many goals. Right. Um, they're actually reasonably defensively sound. It's the fact that they, they're doing nothing going forward. They are not a club with big transfer budgets either, but I suspect they will have to release some funds in January to bring in at least two attacking players, or I fear that they're going to finish bottom. Now, ain't nothing going on but the rent department. Making a twice-weekly popular football podcast for free isn't always easy. And as you've probably gathered, we've found someone to help us with that, Paddy Power. Now, going forward, we're going to play a little game with them every week with some odds, hopefully raise a little bit of money for good causes. And today we're joined by Mr Power himself with some of the key odds from this set of midweek fixtures. Hello. Please call me Paddy. Eh? You can't let me. You can't let me sound old. I'm actually old enough to remember you from the heydays of Italian football, James. There you go. But uh, but yeah, Paddy, please. Right. No, okay. You've picked out some. Uh, we've got a full round of uh, midweek fixtures. Four games in particular that we're interested in. Can you give us the odds? Uh, first of all, for Watford beating Man United. I can indeed. Yeah, they're a decent price. They're nine to two, which is four and a half to one. And I guess uh, you're taking your life in your hands a bit. United can't really buy a goal, an own goal they needed at the weekend. But Watford are Watford got beaten by Everton a few weeks ago. So um, so yeah, nine to two. You couldn't be banking on United anyway. But I'm not sure Watford are going to get the job done. To be honest, but who we, am I to say? We're undecided. We had a fair old chat about that. We're a little bit more clear on Swansea's chances away to Chelsea. But what are your odds on that? This is a funny one. Um, Swansea are well. They're sixteen to one to win, but to get to get a draw, they're six to one for a draw in that game. Chelsea are very, very short odds. They're one to six. In fact, they're the shortest odds. They're as short as Arsenal and City are. The three of them are the shortest odds of the of the midweek fixtures. But six to one on so one to six Chelsea to win. So if you want Swansea to win at sixteens, but the draw is maybe more of a chance of a draw maybe at six to one. But uh I wouldn't be picking this one anyway. I think Chelsea would probably be genuine bankers. Absolutely. Um narrative Claxon as David Moyes returns to Goodison uh, will he get his first win there? What do the numbers say? The numbers say that he probably won't. Uh, Everton are our favourites at five to four. West Ham are twenty-three to ten. So that's a two and a half to one, and uh, and the draw is twenty-three to ten there as well. So even if you're an Everton fan, you probably like David Moyes. Uh, you probably couldn't fancy yourselves uh, to beat David Moyes coming back to going back home to roost. I think this is actually a reasonable chance this happening. Everton are just so all over the shop at the moment that uh, yeah, if West Ham are going to get a win, it's going to be a Goodison. Yeah, I think that's a decent bet. All right, an interesting one to finish. Uh, Paddy uh, the Eagles-Seagulls game which we were just discussing how heated that's going to be what are the odds of a red card? Yeah red card is actually it's, it's a good shout in this one I mean that's going to be a real tight game and both teams really desperate not to drop points but 5-2 uh, to two for a red card in that game and uh, 
and that could be yeah, it could be a decent shout to be honest alright Paddy thank you so much for joining us and best of luck with that thanks for that Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh, and you may have noticed Muddy Knees Media is expanding. We are going to be doing lots of new shows. We're going to need lots of new people. But the first person we need is a community manager. Now, you may already have seen our advert on Twitter. And if you haven't, you're probably not the person for us. What we need is someone to get across all of our social media outlets, the Twitter and the Facebook, and really to find out if there's any more we can use, to do all the things that, frankly, we're too old to do. Please send CVs to hello at muddyneesmedia.com with Community Manager in block capitals in the subject header. A closing date for applications is December the 1st. It's only about a week. You haven't got long. And the work, well, that will start in January. But that brings us to the end of today's 2D Football show. Uh, apart from the fact that we need to just flag up the life in the Football League, the Championship, etc., which you're going to be doing in the Totally Football League show. A couple of questions I wanted to ask you about, though. I know that Wolves have won their fifth in a row. Uh, 5-1 at home to Bolton, sending them to the bottom of the Championship because... Chris Coleman at Sunderland yes. gone straight in and get a win. Gets, and w- gets a win. And we will be talking about that a lot tomorrow. Um, Chris Coleman's first win, smiles on faces. Uh, he's instructed the players to go out and enjoy the moment because they've been so unhappy for so long. It is only a win over Burton, who are the smallest team in the division by absolutely miles. But who knows, it might be a turning point. We'll have Ian Barraclough in the studio and uh, me and Matt, and we'll be talking about that and Bristol Rovers as well. Super. Well, I look forward to that on Tuesday. Excellent. Well, that's it then for today's Totally Football show. Many thanks to you, Daniel Story. Thank you for having Always me. Always great to see you. And you, Michael Cox. Thank you. OK, Football League show will be up on Tuesday. We'll be back on Thursday. Have yourselves a splendid time until then. <laughs> <laughs>